Today's episode of The Full 60 is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can go to gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is New York Islanders head coach Barry Trotz, who we've been trying to get on this podcast for a while because we knew Barry would be perfect. Barry talks very eloquently about a lot of the things we, we discuss in this podcast, from culture, how to get better, how to improve. Um, he's a great storyteller. Uh, we covered all that ground, and starting right away with what he's doing right now to get better. I mean, he's using this time wisely, as you might expect. And some of it he gets into, you know, he's, he's listening to podcasts and that sort of thing. And some of it is reviewing where his team is at. Um, he, you know, he mentioned he actually liked where the team was was headed. There's a lot of strategy that goes into using this time right now. Some of which uh, Arthur Staple got into in a really good story. If you missed that on The Athletic, go check out Arthur's story about Barry and what, what he's been doing. But but it was a great conversation. We got into his influences, how he got his start in coaching at 22 years old. Just a great talk. And then make sure you stick around. Uh, if you subscribe to the Full 60 email, which I send out very infrequently, um, I did send out a, a note the other day that just said, I'm giving that last segment to listeners. If you want to share a positive story, or maybe you know somebody who needs help, or you want to thank somebody during this time, I just opened, basically opened the mic. And someone actually had a great idea that I should... I should set up some sort of way for you guys to do recordings of yourself. But I just wanted to give that last segment to the listeners of The Full 60. And so I'm going to read uh, a few emails that came back. And I, I wish I could share all of them. There was a lot. Um, but I, I'm, we're going to do that. So stick around for that. But first, The Full 60 with New York Islanders head coach Barry Trotz. Uh, all right, Barry. So let me start here. And I am curious... Uh, it's it's funny we've we've now been on pause or whatever for a long enough time where it's like okay the you know the shock wears off or you you know the you adjust and now I, I feel like a lot of people are like okay I want to be productive or what can I how can I use this time and I'm just curious like how how are you using this time? Well, for me, um, you know, I've I've looked at uh, I know we're going to play. I just don't know when. I you know this is going right. to going to end. Uh, it'll be. Uh, Based on the uh, the government and the and the uh, the nation to decide when a lot of these situations, especially our business, uh, when you get back. So um, I, I've looked at it, and uh, you know I, I do believe we're going to get an opportunity to play for the Stanley Cup, uh, some kind of format, uh, maybe in the summer here or late summer. And so I'm just sort of preparing of what I would do in a, say, a shortened training camp. I don't think training camp's going to be, you know, a month long or anything like that. So um, I think it's going to be a, a process of, uh, of a shorter training camp because guys are going to have to come from different parts of the world. The rules are a little different in each country, and there still might be quarantine, who knows. Um, so I'm, I'm preparing for different scenarios if, uh, in length of time of maybe a short training camp. Uh, yeah. Also maybe... Or different numbers, you may have have to. They may start, uh, you know, coming back as uh, just as we separated. You know, you you could have uh, people in big venues that have to be no more than five thousand, and all all the way down to groups of five, basically. Um, and maybe we come back as a as a as a sports team, and and we're only allowed to have five guys on the ice at a time, or five guys in the facility at a time, or <laughs> right. six to ten. I don't know. So we're just yeah. trying to, you know, run through those scenarios, what we would do, and just make sure we're prepared, not scrambling for uh, ideas. So uh, that I've, I've, uh, I've sort of done some of that. I've also looked at uh, uh, potential opponents. If you, you hear everything from a, 
uh, eight-team playoff to a 12-team or expanded playoff even more. Uh, who who might we play if that were the case? Um, yeah. And prepared on those teams, their their trends and their personnel, their their teams. So I've been productive hockey-wise, uh, yeah. as well as trying to be productive uh, uh, in getting better. Uh, everything from listening to different podcasts. Uh, I haven't read anything, but uh, going on, uh, you know, the uh, the Netflix and Amazon Primes of the world and. And, and finding documentaries and different things that uh, maybe help me improve some, some areas. And then uh, for me as well, just looking back at the season and, and reassessing, I think, you know, 2020 hindsight's always fantastic. I mean, that's <laughs> right. one of the, as a fan, uh, there's always 2020 hindsight. And as coaches, sometimes you don't get a chance to sort of step back and reevaluate because you're in the you're in the middle of the fight sometimes. So yeah, uh, took a step back, you know, and 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 looked at it from you know twenty thousand feet and say, okay, if I could redo some things, uh, what would they be? Or you know, and I and I sort of did some self evaluating and now some staff evaluating. So I think we come back. I will have some changes, and I, I think I'll be more. Um, I don't say locked in is a word, but I. I will have a greater awareness of my own uh, misgivings, if you will. Mm. I think every every coach, every person has some misgivings that they, you know, you you you, you want you want to be firm. Hey, I know we want to get better here. We want to get better there, and that's uh, it's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes you uh, you try to get better in some areas, and you actually get worse in the areas that you're really good at. So yeah, um, I, I use the term sometimes we we try to overcoach a little bit because we're trying to get. We care. We're like a player. We're trying to get the players better. We have a responsibility twofold. A, to get the respo- uh, the player better to play to his his potential night in and night out, and also the potential for his career. Uh, the second thing is is the potential of the team. Uh, we're in the winning business and, and winning hockey games, and uh, I thought uh, this year we got away from some of the foundational stuff that really separated us uh you know we wanted to grow with some other areas and yeah trying to grow so much in some other areas we actually weaken ourselves in the actual foundational uh part of our game and uh we, we you know I, you look back and i go i know why i did it uh because you know you care and you want we felt we could do this and this and the growth of each player but uh you, we got sometimes a, a little bit away from our our foundation and, and the, the risk and reward ended up not being worth it in, in, mm-hmm. in at the end of the day. So um, we got to do what we understand what we are and why we're good at what we do and how we're going to have success with what we do. And it's, it's sort of like no different than the business world. It's your brand. What's your right. brand? And uh, we got away from our brand a little bit. All right. There's, there's a lot to unpack in there. And, and so I, I, let me start with kind of, the the notion of going back and assessing the season in in an, an opportunity where that's really never been afforded um like this did you in the middle of it did you start to suspect you were getting away from that foundation or w- w- was it not until you yeah, had this no, yeah, time I, I, I did i did okay. um uh you know you sort of you feel it it's not yeah. really you, you you sit back and you go you know i am you know um i think um, what what happened is you you just it's a feeling you're just mm-hmm. feeling like our our resolve wasn't in in some areas wasn't quite there our detail in some areas you know guys knew it but they weren't as resolved in it and so we we got away from it a little bit and um, that, that's that's part of it. every team does that's why you, yeah you, you you have teams that you go into losing streaks or you 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 don't you, don't, you go through these. Like we did at the end, we had, uh, I think we ended up uh, like something like two, two, three, and four or something like that yeah. uh, in our last uh, nine games or something like that. And and you look at it and the record's not great, but I knew we were trending in the right way. We lost four games in overtime. Uh, we have to come back in probably almost every one of those games. I can't remember, uh, you know, it's, it seems like forever now, but uh, <laughs> I can't remember any game that we, we you know, we let a team, you know, come back late and tie stuff and all that. It was, it was more of us having to come back late and tie them up. And, uh, you know, we were getting points in, in, 
in regulation, but we were winning the overtime sessions. And if we did, the record would probably been reversed. Uh, you would have been sitting at a, if you, you know, even if you win, you know, three of the four overtime, which we were, we were doing for a lot of part of the early part of the season, you know, you're sitting there with a, a lot different record where it's like five, two and five, two and one. And you're going, Hey, they're, they're trending really well. So yeah, yeah. sometimes the standings will, will uh, affect you a little bit uh, when you look at them. But I knew that our, our mindset and our resolve was heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, you know, our determination, you know, you look at it as a coach, you look at a different, different things, but, uh, you look at your compete factor, your care factor, your work ethic, uh, your details and execution. And those were starting to come around, um, mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, if we, if we get it right, you know, you're going to, we're going to be in good shape. And I, I felt like we were hitting it right. Uh, and it was actually, you know, for every blessing, it's a curse and for every curse, it's a blessing. And that mm-hmm. the, the curse was that we were going through the, uh, uh, you know, eight or 10 game stretch there where we weren't really getting the points, uh, but it was forcing us to play better. And that was the blessing of it is that we were trending to the, to be playing well. And if we continued that path, we would have been playing well right into the playoffs. And yeah. uh, that's when you want to hit it right. So, um, you know, it came easy early for us cause we were doing everything right. And, uh, um, you know, we went on that long, long, uh, win streak. And that's the, the crazy thing is, you know, you know, you go on those long win streaks and it affords you some distance to, to, to sort of, you know, not, not take it easy, but, uh, it gives you some breathing room. And because we didn't play really well, we didn't earn it enough, enough. We, uh, you know, we get, we put ourselves in position, right. to the, you'd be in that last uh, playoff spot. So, uh, rather than being in, in a little higher up, but uh, you know we earned that right to be where we are, uh, right in the playoff spot. Right now we're in eighth spot. Um, I know points percentage, uh, points percentage wise, uh, standing wide, we're about, I think we're a point back of Columbus. So, um, but uh, you know we we were we we're trending in the right way. So I, I felt yeah. very confident we were, we're going in. Plus we we're getting healthy. We we're getting Casey back and. You know, and uh, Pajot was starting to, you know, it was it was fitting in, and we were getting our depth yeah. back. So Barry, one of the things you you mentioned in there is when you're watching, you can see, um, you, you're detecting care. The phrase you used was the care factor. When you're watching on video, like how do you how are you identifying that? Well, you you, you see uh, in terms of I use to say in, in the picture you want to see uh, what I say five guys in the picture every time you're. I'm looking at the screen. I want to see five yeah. guys in the picture coming back. You can see the care factor. You can see it in line changes. You can see it. In, you know, did that guy really commit to getting that puck out? Did he, you know, the, he commit his body to get that puck out? Right, um, right. Using leverage. Is you know, is he getting lower than the guy next to him so he can get that leverage to get that puck out? Uh, or is he sort of just using a long stick and backing right. off? Uh, um, there's so there's a lot of different things that you can see, and then you know the players a little bit. Um, you know, uh, Casey Sadikas plays a little different than a Matthew Barzell, and a Pajot plays different than those two, and, and you know right. uh, Nelson is a little different. So you you know what they their strengths are. Like uh, Nelson's going to use his hands a little bit more than uh, than probably Casey. Casey's going to run through you. So you you, you understand what they a the little bit of their DNA, but at the same time. Uh, the desperation level, the compete level, the work ethic, uh, the detail uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, reading off plays rather than just, you know, playing aimlessly. Sometimes you, I say, don't mistake activity for achievement. And some guys are <laughs> right. racing around and it looks like it's, it's all they're, they're doing all this good work, but they're, they're, they're not covering up for the, you know, guys that are, replacing them in certain positions off the four check or through the neutral zone, or, you know, we have some protocols, what I call that, uh, they're, they're, they're black and white. There's no gray. And, right. uh, when a, when a player turns a black and white protocol into a gray, uh, protocol, uh, that those are indicators for me that they're not engaged enough or they're not mm-hmm. thinking, uh, correctly or, you know, um, those type of things. And there's different factors for it. Sometimes you're caught out on shifts. Sometimes you're 
to that and you, your your brain goes dead uh, a little bit uh, or your legs give out on you and you just don't have that extra you know push but you know you try to find that level as a, as a coach for the player that uh, that there's more in there and right. you see the playoff you know you see certain guys that are, you know don't really back check a whole uh, lot uh, <laughs> right all of a sudden, all of a sudden. The, you know they got this <laughs> all of a sudden they're this great two-way player so those are the things you look for, uh, yeah. you, you know, uh, with players, uh, but it, it's compete. Uh, you, you can't have success unless you're, you're willing to, you know, put some skin in the fight a little bit. So I'd be interested when you're watching a guy like Barzal, like I'm sure his looks, you're looking for different things. Like when he's going well, yeah. when he, he's plugged into the details he, you need, what is he doing? Yeah, well, with with a guy like Matthew, Matthew wants the puck so much. The biggest yeah. thing with uh, with Matthew is he's he's grown up all his life. He's been such a terrific uh, player in terms of his his skating ability and his and his ability with his hands. Uh, you know, he wants the puck, and sometimes uh, you know uh, with him is and he can make plays. He can do a lot of that. Uh, you know, he's improved his game. He couldn't shoot lot, uh, my first year here. He learned. To shoot the puck, he's shooting it much, uh, much better. Uh, yeah. he's scoring more goals, uh, that type of thing. But, uh, just getting him to, to realize that he can be just as effective if he gives up, gives up the puck a little bit more, like he gets it and will hang on to it and then make a play and right. teaching him. There's times where against certain teams that that works great. Uh, uh, and, Maybe you know in the regular season it works more than will in playoffs because you guys take away your time and space. They get on you. Teaching him the the uh, of having the puck as much, but in smaller segments, giving it up, getting right. it back. You know, uh, right. and 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 you know rather than having it for thirty seconds at a time, you know maybe he gives it up three times and has it for or six times and has it for five seconds each time, and he may be more effective and, and right. understanding. So you give him the tools that he can play any game that's presented to him um, yeah. and learning that part and then learning how important it is uh, without the puck uh, because everything has a cause and effect in our game um, in terms of what you do with the puck. And uh, when you don't have the puck, what are you doing to get it back? And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I always talk, talk to him about having, you know, I want him to have the puck a lot. Uh, I want us to have the puck a lot. It's a lot more fun. Um, <laughs> so uh, having a plan to get it back, you know, right. is, is real key. And then, you know, uh, you know, defensively, sometimes we'll be in our end for forever because we do things a little, a little bit different than some other teams. Uh, but at the same time, it's the end result. What did they get out of it? They might've had it for 30 seconds in our end, but what did they really get out of it? They were on the outside. They were, you know, wheeling and dealing and we were tired, but they never, you know, they didn't get shot or they, you know, they got one shot and that was it. And it was a, it was a, uh, a shot from the outside. So those are yeah. things that we, you know, we talk about that you got to stay in the fight a little longer in those and don't just because it's convenient for you to switch off. Uh, when you're in a, uh, you're trying to get this puck off this guy, you know, the guy goes by you and you switch off, go, okay, I'll leave it for him. That doesn't work. That those are, there's certain protocols that, you know, you got to, there's a cause and effect. So, yeah, you, you don't you duplicate duplication, you know, that type of thing. When you say you're looking at foundational stuff, is that do you mean structural or is it this kind of kind of philosophical play? Um, well, foundational stuff is uh, systematic stuff, yeah, and also trends, uh, systematic stuff that are foundational stuff that uh, you know some parts of our game are um, systematic. Uh, as a, and some parts of the game are philosophical. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, um, you know, I say this, uh, you know, how you want to play, uh, you know, in soccer, they have a, a philosophy, if you will, of how a soccer team wants to play. And there's some right. systematic stuff that it's probably more, uh, and I'm not a soccer coach, so I, I have right, to be right. out of my, my league here, but it, it's a philosophy of, how they want to move the ball up or if they want to hang on to it, you know, uh, they have certain people that they want the ball to, to get, they get them, get that ball to that person at a certain time all the time, you know? Right. Right. Uh, so it's a philosophy 
and hockey is a read and react sport. So some of it is systematic in controlled situations and some of it is philosophical, you know, how we want to defend is a philosophy where we, you know, we want to have layers of, of insulation, uh, behind the puck and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, some of it is, is philosophy and understanding. So trying to, trying to, uh, meld the philosophy and systematic stuff so that when the, the system does break down, the philosophy is sort of, is your security blanket after that. Right. And your um, system is your security blanket too. Right. You've used, and you kind of hinted at it there, but you've used the phrase in the past, layers of trust when it comes to playing with structure. Can you explain what that means? Uh, say that again, sorry? The the phrase layers of trust when it, when it comes in terms of playing with structure, like that it creates yeah, layers of it, trust. It's, it's, what? Yeah, you, you have to trust the guy next to you. And, uh, this game is, there's good players in this game. Matthew Barzell's a great player. Uh, Alex Ovechkin's a great player. They're going to beat beat you one-on-one once in a while. And so you right. have to have these layers of trust where the, the guy next to you knows that if it breaks down, what his responsibility would be rather than just, you know, we, we want to, as I say, you want layers of insulation. You want layers of trust. Uh, you want to be able to trust the guy that he's doing his job when it's a black and white protocol. You want, if it does break down, you want to know that he's, he's going to react in the proper way so that layer of trust, he can back you up when it does yeah. break down. It's 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 no different than uh, when I'm a I'm a big uh, military. I have a lot of friends that are in the military, um, mm-hmm. and I, a lot of their philosophies in terms of you know you, you got to prepare for everything, but everything's not always going to go the way you prepared for it. So you have to have the ability to think on your feet and also trust the guy next to you that he's got your back. He's got your six. Uh, as they would say in the military, yeah. And uh, uh, I, I want that philosophy a little bit, where you know it's, you're not going to be perfect all the time, but when you are perfect, it's going to work perfect, and we're going to have success. If it doesn't work perfect and it breaks down because it's just we're human, that right. we have a guy next to you uh, that can help you out, and then you'll you'll get back in the fight and help him out, and. and uh, go from there so it starts everything from uh how we how we play on our own end through the neutral zone off floor check uh off draws but also um you know it, it it's the same uh philosophy you know how you how you protect the the guy uh you know your neighbor <laughs> in life right you know right. your best friend and that's sort of how we try to try to you know get the two to to mend um, and, and I think kind of if you pan out, then that, that becomes a, a bit of the culture. And, and it's, it's been fascinating to watch your, your um, move to the Islanders because it's aligned you with Lou Lamarillo. And amongst like GMs and coaches, you two have been probably as good as anybody in implementing culture. How have you found now like teaming up with him? Did did the kind of culture you want to instill align perfectly with what he wants to do? I mean, I'm sure you guys have your own opinions. What was that marriage like initially? Yeah, well, when I think it came everybody has their own. You know, like culture is a a uh, and I use I use it, I use it, but it, we, we use it uh, way too much. Like, uh, like people <laughs> say, you know, you know, they got this culture, they got that. Um, yeah, we do. But what it is is just doing what's right, uh, what's right. expected. You know. Um, you know, uh, like Lou believes, you know, um, you know, he, he wants to, he would like to have everybody, you know, clean shaven. There's no rule. We don't have any rule that you're clean shaven. He, he, we, we, we know that he wants you to look, uh, professional. Yeah. I want you to look professional. Yeah. I'm one that has, you know, I had, I've had a goatee and beard and all that, but it's, it's a little bit of respect and it's okay to be different than everybody else. It, it, what it is is it's it's a little bit of your your identity that hey yeah you know we, we it's it's a little bit of a discipline it's a little bit of that and, and you know uh, you know we're all about you know the freedoms in our in our world but you know, I'll tell you one thing uh, you know players want a couple things they want uh, they do want you know they they want the knowledge they want they they do want dis- discipline and accountability. And and I always I always uh, I always laugh. They want discipline and accountability as long as it doesn't affect them. 
you know, <laughs> right. yeah, personally, you know, yeah. and, and we're, and we're, we're no different, but I'm the same way. Yeah. On this, yeah. If everybody's on the same page, uh, when it comes to that, then mm-hmm. it's really easy to, that that's your culture. You just say, Hey, that's what's expected. You know, if you're expected to do this, um, and trusted to do that, the guy next to you goes, Hey, yeah. You know, you, you look at uh, the most, you know, I look at the, the Patriots. Everybody talks about the Patriot way, all that. Yeah. All Bill Belichick has done is saying, you know what, this is what I want. If you can't get it done and do it the way I want you to do it, then I'm just going to get someone else to do it. Right, Plain and right. simple. And they've got their, but it starts with Bill Belichick. It starts with their leaders, Tom Brady, uh, you know, uh, you know, their, their top players do mm-hmm. that. And it's demanded by their coaching staff and it's demanded by their top players. Uh, you know, it could be demanded by the coaching staff, but if it's not demanded by the top players as well, that culture is never going to quite get there. Right. It's going to fall short more than, it, and, you know, they will win once in a while, but it's going to fall short more often than not. And what I see with the, the Patriots, for instance, have had great success is there's been things that have been in place, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, but their top core players um, are always there for them. They, they get right. the job done. Even if you know, the game like he doesn't fit the Tom Brady mold. When the game's on the line, he always gets it done. Right. You know, right. They go, who do they go to? Gronk. Cause that's their, He's their biggest yeah. weapon, but he's also so you you got to let players be who they are a little bit, but you have to hold them accountability. You know, if they if they um, if you hold them accountability, uh, the accountability factor in a lot of areas, and they may not fit in in some areas just because of their skill set or whatever, but they get the job done when it matters most. You can live with a little bit of that, but if Gronk didn't uh, get the job done when it mattered most. I'm not so sure he's a patriot for that long. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, you're only you're only putting up with coach, so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a coach, you have to balance it a little bit. So, uh, yeah. every team's made up with different uh, different skill sets and different things, and it's it's no it's no different than I, I say as a coach, you're saying a contractor and a GM. You you you're the contractor. You have all these subs. And you've got a, I'm standing outside, so I'm looking at my house. You're, you're, yeah. uh, you know, you're you're building a house. You, if you just had a bunch of 24 plumbers, you got great plumbing, but the rest of your house is not going to be very good. So you need different right. tradesmen uh, on your team to to have an effective team. So, um, and you need that balance. You need the, and you need some some personal qualities that uh, are consistent throughout the organization. And you need people, uh, which I find have been illegal a long time. It's harder and harder to find uh, players uh, to hold other players accountable as much as they did at, uh, back then, and uh, you know, years ago. Mm. That's interesting. Why do you think that is? Uh, and, uh, well, I think it's uh, it's a respect factor. Uh, I think it's just changed over time. Uh, yeah. The the PA, uh, I think players are a lot more friendly league. I think free right. agency has done a lot to that. Uh, back, you know, 25 years ago, you know, you're, you they had the you played for the Montreal Canadiens, and you probably played for the Montreal Canadiens for, you know, 10, 12 years, and 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 maybe get traded at the end of your career. But you pretty well the core players stayed in place. Now the core players don't stay in place uh, as long. Yeah. Uh, there's more movement and. Uh, you know, uh, I would say the Players Association, the league, work closer together than they have in the past. And uh, there was a respect. Uh, you know, uh, a young guy uh, coming into the league was pretty quiet uh, his first couple of years in the league. Uh, everybody sort of, we'll say, put him in his place. But you have right. to earn the respect. Now you're having 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds coming in the league and uh, they they want to run the team, and it's just society's changed. <laughs> right, sure. And uh, and so guys haven't been able to, you know, uh, you know, back, you know, back in the say the old days, if the guy wasn't really 
pulling his weight there, you know, if the coach, if the coach, uh, be on him, but there'd be yeah, guys in the room with, you know, literally, you know, grab a guy by his throat and say, Hey, you know, get your act together, kid or yeah. whatever. That doesn't yeah. really happen anymore. It's, uh, society's changed. Uh, the, the, the sport has changed. So, um, and play young players are way better than the, and more informed than they were before too. So, right. Um, that that's a big change. They're, they're so impactful now, the young guys versus maybe what they were, you know, 25 years ago. So, um, it's just changed. And so, yeah. um, you know, uh, just relate, even in a coach player relationship, I, I always look at it as the, as you're in a partnership with the player. My job mm-hmm. is twofold. I'm in a partnership with the player, get that player to be the best player he can be. Um, and like I say, play to his ceiling, uh, get the most production out of them. And the second fold for me is uh, how does he fit in with, in the in the team concept in winning? You have to win. Yeah. We're in a, in a winning business. Uh, we're not in the development business, but we, you know, at the end of the day, we're in the winning business. So, um, so that brings up a, a couple thoughts in and in terms of because the accountability is going to have to come from the coach more than the teammates, even though the ideal from your perspective is to have the teammates like and I've talked to coaches that are like the perfect team is when you're not even dealing with stuff. The team is dealing with yeah. themselves yeah, when, it, when they sort of when they manage themselves, you know, yeah, you, you look at around right. the, the, the league, the teams that are most consistent. Um, yeah. You look at their leaders, and I and I and I look at uh, like the Boston Bruins. Yeah, uh, Boston's a great one. Leader. Yeah. Who's yeah. A, who's their leaders? Yeah, uh, Bergeron and Chara. And if you're right. a young guy with the Boston Bruins, and you come in, and I know uh, uh, Z, and I know uh, Bergey, and and uh, they, if you came on that team, and you see how hard they work, and how mm-hmm. professional they are. And you came in there and you were a clown and, and you didn't put the work in. I'm pretty sure you'd be embarrassed to to put the work in. Um, right, right. And then other teams, uh, you know, uh, have different leaders that you know maybe uh, you know feel like they got the the world by the tail, or they've been you know God's touched them and says you got all this talent and you don't have to you know you're not going to probably have to work as hard as some other guys because you got this God given talent, but uh, they don't work as hard, and, and that, that creates their culture too. So, right. Um, you always look at that's why I think you know, like the Patriots and the, the Bruins. That it's it's sort of ironic that those two teams have had great success in the last little while. And you just look yeah. at the stability at the coaching position and stability as as their top guys and the, and the the professionalism and the work ethic that they put forward. Uh, reflects on the rest of their team. Yeah. So, so when you have to give the accountability, uh, Matt Martin described it this way with with you, the way you deal with it. He says with Barry Trotz, it's accountability in a calming light. So you're there's a calm to it. What does that look like? From so that I'm sure that's by design. Why? Like, how do you dish out accountability, and why is it important to do it in that manner? Well, I I think sometimes for me, I I probably more of a uh, players coach, uh, and I always say, I'm like dad, the players know <laughs> that like my father, you know, he, he, he gets mad of thing at, at things that I do. Yeah. And he doesn't like the things that I do and lets me know about it. But at the same time, he, he, I know he loves me and he just wants what's best for me and for our family. Um, and he doesn't hold a grudge, you know, there's yeah. a, and, and that's probably the way I describe it as, uh, the players know, uh, when they get to the, to know me a little bit, uh, that I'm just trying to w- make them better. We're trying to win. I'm trying to do what's best for the group and I'm not going to hold it. There's nothing personal about it. It's just, yeah, this is how it has to be. And this is how we're going to have success as a group. And, and you're, you're messing with the family a little bit. Yeah, you're not pulling your weight. You're not doing your chores. You're not, you know, those type of things. So it, it becomes pretty sim- simplistic in terms of that. And I, I think that's the biggest thing. And I, I don't, when I do blow up, I used to blow, be very uh, volatile 
in my mm-hmm. younger years, and I, I learned that that gets old. Guys don't want to be screamed at and all that. And right, uh, right. Once in a while, you you want you have to you, enough's enough, you know, and you you have to lay the law down. But for the most part, I I, I try to be calm about it. Uh, I take a step back um, in dealing with it than I probably did when I was younger. I was probably in your face and, and a lot more, and, and guys would get a little bit uh, tired of that a little quicker. So, yeah, and and lose um, respect for it. Right, right, right. There's only so many times you can go to that well. Um, let me just interrupt this conversation with Barry to share a message from DoorDash. If you already think like me right now, you have a lot of uh, let's say Zoom meetings and emails and a lot of different things kind of going on to balance. Um, not to mention, you know, laundry and a million things to do around the house. You've probably got plenty on your to-do list. And the beauty of DoorDash is it gives you one less thing to worry about. Let DoorDash take care of your next meal. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door, which is something we all could use right now. Ordering is super easy. You open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting, which is pretty awesome. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more and zero delivery fees for the first month when you download the DoorDash app and enter code FULL60. That's $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees for a month when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code FULL60. It's awesome. You get to support local businesses, and you also get to not have to cook. That's that's a great, I would say that's a great combination. So don't forget, that code is FULL60 for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right, to, to in the last section here, I wanted to get into to your story personally a little bit. And, and what what's interesting, I mean, there's a lot interesting here, but the fact that you started coaching at 22 years old, I think that's correct, is is yeah. a much different path than, than most people. And I was hoping you could tell the story of uh, that Jack button inviting you to Hershey and uh, kind of with, with coaching in mind where maybe you were thinking you were going as a player, like what was that, that transition like for you and, and Jack's well, influence? You know, I, um, you know, I, I, I played junior in Regina and I, and I, uh, I went to school at, uh, Alpha Murray college in Notre Dame. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I had really good success and I, I played junior and, um, I got invited to the Washington Capitals training camp, uh, yeah. way back when. And, and, uh, you know, I trained really hard and, and I was a undersized defenseman. Uh, I, I thought I had pretty good, um, hockey sense, I had pretty good bravery. It was, you know, uh, you know, for that, all that, I wasn't a high end offensive guy, uh, my strength yeah. was actually my skating which is hard to believe when you watch me slug around the pond now. <laughs> um, I was a lot smaller, but, uh, you know, I got to the training camp and I worked all summer and, and I was just, I knew that I was, the chances of me playing in the National Hockey League were a little bit slim, but I thought, you know, maybe I could play in the minors uh, and work my way up. I just knew that I was undersized, so I would have to take a different path if I was ever going to play. But I knew there were some guys in the league uh, that before me that were smaller guys, the yeah. Derek Plotts and the Kurt Giles of the world. And uh, so there were some, some inspirational guys, you know, that you sort of said, you know, he made it. He's no, I'm, you know, he's no bigger than I am. So uh, I went to training camp and uh, I saw a Jack Button who, um, invited me to camp and I, David, that was David Poyle's first year. And they mm. were sitting in the Hershey Park Arena, the old uh, the rink. And my session was up. I was watching the. Uh, there's three groups at that time, or four groups. Uh, there was four groups, and I was watching the the group before me. Uh, they were practicing, and I was taping up my stick. And I saw uh, Mr. Button and and uh, and Mr. Poyle up there. And uh, so I I said, you know, I'm going to go up there and just thank him. And and uh, I walked up to the the you know, Mr. Button and, and, and David, and I said, excuse me, uh, Mr. Button and uh, Barry Trotz, I uh, uh, just want to thank you for inviting me. And he looks me square in the eye and he says, you know what, kid, I know who the hell you are. I was the <laughs> one that invited you. 
And if you knew anything about Jack, that's how he talked. Like, you know, yeah, I know yeah. who you are, and I invited yeah. you. I just want to let uh, you know. Uh, you know, I said, the, I just want to let you know. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, thanks for inviting me. I, I'm gonna make it real hard for you to send me home. Yeah. And he goes, listen, I was the one that invited you, and the only reason that you're here is you might be a good uh, minor league leader or a coach someday. That, that's sort of at 19. That sort of busted my bubble a little bit. I was going to you know? say that's not what you want to hear as a 19 year old. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, and I, I I got thrown back by that, and you know, I, I I said, well, I appreciate that. No matter what, I appreciate it uh, for this experience. And I sort of went yeah. back, and I was like, I'm going to show this son of a bitch, you know, uh, <laughs> that I can play. And then uh, I, you know, I they wanted to uh, send me to Fort Wayne was. Uh, was one of their farm teams at the time, and uh, I think it was Hershey was their their A, so uh, um, Fort Wayne was their sort of their their B team. So it was sort of like uh, I guess East Coast Hockey League uh, at the time. And uh, I said, well, I, you know, I had a deal with uh, Regina Pats in terms of the schooling package, and I said, you know what, before I give you a yes or no, uh, let me talk to my parents. And, all that. Let me talk. Brian Murray happened to be my coach in Regina, uh, my first year, and he was the coach of the Washington Capitals. And I think he took over halfway through the previous year, and that was his first full year. And I, yeah. I went over to Brian. I said, you know, do you have a, a few minutes that I could talk with you? And he said, yeah. Uh, you know, why don't you just come back to? He had an office in the Hershey Park Arena. He says, hey, give me, you know, fifteen minutes and. You know, pop by and I'll chat. So I chatted with Brian about my chances of, of playing. And Brian said, you know what, I, I'll be honest with you. I think you can play in the minors. You might be able to play in Hershey. I don't see you playing in the National Hockey League. Uh, but that's not to say that you wouldn't. He says, I just, you know, at this point in time, I don't know if you would play. You know, it was sort of back then you had, it was still in the little bit of the Broad Street bullies, you know, uh, sure. I was sitting between Dave Hutchinson and Randy Holt in, in my locker. They were on, we were on the same team and Randy Holt was my partner, uh, cause they had a, uh, sort of a round robin. They had four teams and, uh, Randy, and between the two of them, they had like 10,000 minutes of penalties, it seemed back then. <laughs> and they were, right. you know, so I'm, I'm sitting in between them and, you know, the game was a little different. So, um, you know, I talked to Brian and, and, and for a bit, and then I went back to Mr. Button and I said, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to go back to, to school and uh, I appreciate you for inviting me and all that. Uh, lo and behold, I went back, went back to the, uh, uh, finished up my, my junior career. Uh, I got traded from Regina to Brandon. I didn't really want to go to Brandon at that time. They were a struggling team. I didn't want to finish up struggling, so I stayed at home and tried to wait it out and get moved. And they, they and I played in my hometown team, and and uh, we won the uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. We went to the uh, the uh, national, I guess, uh, semifinals. So um, finished up there and went to the University of Manitoba and played my back. Had a back injury. I suffered my first year in uh, in Regina. And it started really acting up on me mm-hmm. you know, to a point where I could barely, uh, barely move my legs. And uh, so I, uh, I I took some time off, and uh, I was playing for Wayne Fleming at the University mm-hmm. of Manitoba. I was uh, one of the leaders, I guess, for for him. He felt, and uh, he says, you know, we're going to take some time off here. I actually was at the point where I got suspended. I was getting kicked out of the. Uh, you couldn't fight back then, and I didn't mind that at all. Um, yeah you're only allowed so many fights and then they, they, they sort of suspended you. So I got the, I got my quota in and then, uh, <laughs> took my time yeah. off. And, um, and he asked me to come on and just, you know, be an assistant coach till I hopefully healed up and then I could come back and play next year. And they didn't have, you know, two or three coaches back then. He, he was it. And, uh, so I moved pucks and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, was in on all the meetings and listened and, all that. And he kept sliding me, pay, uh, pay, you know, different things to read. And, and mm-hmm. you know, and I said, you know, I'm not going to be able to come back. This thing's not going away. And, uh, so all of a sudden I started getting, you know, like the Roger Nielsen coaches clinics and he, yeah. he, 
keep sliding me different things and I start doing that and I, I got in that's how I sort of got involved in coaching and then my hometown team uh at the time was uh in debt and most of those junior teams are, are severely in debt uh, I got a phone call from uh, uh one of the, the the people that were on the uh committee for the home uh, that hometown team uh, I'll say the executive board if you will uh, yeah. and asked me if I'd be interested in coaching the team. And, and basically what happens with the, a lot of those junior teams, they try to find the cheapest uh, <laughs> coach they can with hometown ties that might want yeah. to come back. And I was, that was me. And I had a, uh, I was going to school. I had a part-time job at the, at uh, Burroughs computer computers at the time. And, um, you know, it was working out pretty good for me. Uh, you know, I was making pretty good money part-time going to school uh, and, and sort of helping out with the hockey team as a sort of assistant coach, if you will. Um, and uh, I was with my my current wife. She was my, we weren't married at the time, but, mm-hmm. uh, and I said, you know, she knew I wanted to stay in the game somehow. She says, why don't you, why don't you give it a, give it a whirl, you know, you know, wasn't paying much. I'd have to stay, you know, at my parents' house and, and uh, live in the basement for a little bit. And did. Yeah. And uh, took over a, a struggling team uh, that was uh, severely in debt. We got them out of debt in a couple of years, and I had a real young team, and we made real good progress as a as a group. Had a lot of kids go on to university and stuff like that. So, um, and then uh, uh, University of Manitoba called, and the uh, Wayne Fleming was going over to Europe. Uh, the coach for uh, a, supposed to be two year sabbatical. Uh, they wanted me to apply because I was having good success, so I applied and they they hired me at the University of Manitoba. Uh, initially, it was supposed to be for two years. Uh, it was a one year, um, one year, and then an option next year if Wayne came back. And you know, obviously, it was a sabbatical, so I would right. there was sort of like a one year contract, but it was a two year deal. If uh, if he didn't come back, so um, I took over the university in Atoba, and I was uh, it was it was great. It was really upgrade. I, what happened was um, at the time a lot of the, the top hockey minds in Canada, what I felt, uh, were coming from the uh, universities, and that was Claire Drake was at the University mm-hmm. of uh, of uh, Alberta. Alberta. Yeah, had uh, Dave Dave King was at uh, and. Uh, he was at the University of Saskatchewan. Uh, George Kingston was at Calgary. Uh, mm. and, and you look at some of those people that were involved, uh, you started coaching the, them and, and, and studying them and getting to meet them, and they were just such great teachers. I remember uh, uh, Claire Drake, uh, the first time we went to Alberta, and they, they had dominant teams. They, they won yeah. national championships after national championships. And, uh, you know, I before the game, I, I wanted to walk. I walked over to, to to Claire's office, and he wasn't quite. He wasn't there yet. Uh, you know, Claire finally. You know, when when he arrived, he he grabbed me and pulled me in his office, and he just talked hockey while the basically the warmups going on. Uh, and he was to me him and guys like George Kingston and uh, you know uh, Dave King. They were so great at you know here's this young guy. Uh, in the league, and they're helping me out. They really mm. were. They were, uh, and then getting to see how their teams played, and and uh, it was it was really a great experience for me. Um, and then uh, after that year, um, made the playoffs. We lost out, I think, to Calgary, George Kingston's team. Um, Wayne Fleming came back, and. Uh, uh, during that year, when I was at uh, U of M, uh, Jack Button reached out to me. I think it was in October of that year, and uh, he called me and said, "You know, listen, I'm looking for someone to just part-time scout Manitoba." And I was doing that anyways for the University of Manitoba. And uh, you know, he reached out and said, "You know, uh, I'd love for you to uh, can't pay you much. I think it was like five thousand dollars a year." <laughs> um, to, to send in a report, you know, once a week yeah. and, and, uh, keep them informed of, of, of players that I'd seen and in Manitoba and upcoming players, you know, the, the same scouting thing. And, 
Um, you know, uh, when Brian Murray was the Caps were coming through to Winnipeg, uh, you know, Brian asked me for scouting reports on yeah. these teams, uh, which, you know, I tried, you know, did that. Uh, so we, one thing led to another at the end of the year when Wayne came back, I, uh, I was thinking of going to join, uh, Greg Quisley with the, uh, Moose Jaw, uh, Warriors, uh, in the uh, Western Hockey League, uh, as a assistant coach, assistant GM, because I had, uh, uh, I knew, uh, Greg from, uh, when my time at Notre Dame, he was from, uh, Wilcox, his family lived yeah. in Wilcox, and I knew the family and all that, and he knew me, and it looked like it was going to be a good fit, so I was thinking about doing that, and then, uh, uh Jack Button reached out to me and says, you know, I'm looking for a uh, a scout in uh, in the West. Uh, he had a, a gentleman named Claire Rothamel who was a year or so away from retirement. He was an older gentleman, and he was thinking about retiring. He wanted to do a little bit less. Um, and Jack reached out to me and says, "You know, I'd like for you to, you know, look at that path. I know you're doing the coaching thing, but you know, maybe down the down the road." that might be something that uh, you can go back to and maybe even with us. So talk to my, my wife, my future wife, uh, you know, uh, cause we were living together and uh, she said, well, why don't you try that? You know, mm. give it a whirl. And, and so I, I signed on with uh, Washington uh, with Jack for, I think it was a, you know, one year, it was a three year type of deal, but let me try it for a year and then see if that's what I want to do. And he said, uh, you know, he's willing to do, willing to do that, and uh, I did, and uh, we moved to Regina, Saskatchewan, and I started scouting the West, and he started sending me over, he liked what I was doing, and uh, next year he moved me to British Columbia, and I became the head Western scout. And, um, you know, the first year we took two, or two, first two picks were out of our, my region, which was Olaf Kolzik and Byron Defoe, so. Oh, wow. Um, you know, obviously, obviously you have, you have some, some say, but they were the best. They were, we felt they were the best players where we were picking the Washington pretty good teams right. back then. So, um, anyway, so, uh, one thing led to another and I thought, well, this is working out pretty good. Uh, my wife is a dental hygienist. She had graduated. We just had our first child and I thought I was going to be the head scout or head Western scout for the Washington capitals for a long time. And, and Jack called me, uh, oh, we were going to buy a house. We were, uh, we were, going to buy a house and uh and my wife who's always a smart one she says why don't you call jack just just in case he doesn't you know he maybe wants to move us again and i said no right, he just moved right. us out. we moved twice in two years i'm the head western scout he wants us out in british columbia i, I doubt if that's going to change and um, she goes what's it going to hurt just call him Right. I called him and he goes, you know what? I was just going to talk to you, but I was waiting another week because the draft was in Vancouver that year um, that I would like you to come to Baltimore as a assistant coach and do some scouting for us. A little bit of both, sort of a, a hybrid of what I was doing. I was like, perfect, you know? Right. Um, so I phoned the, the, the bank and the realtor and said, Guess what? I just get transferred. This is not great timing, That's... but I'm think I'm moving to the states. So yeah, uh, and it was tough when we moved down there. It was a little bit tough because uh, my wife was making good money, and uh, I was I, I, my money wasn't changing. So uh, and right. then we had our second child, so we had two children, and moved down down south, and it got a little tighter than we wanted it to be. So. And, um... uh, Get okay. going from there. So it's a long story to get to all the way back to the Baltimore. But, well, um, I, I love the you know I love talking to people about influences, and I and we're we're squeezed for time, so I don't even, I can't even get into the Claire Drake Drake angle, which I love anyways. But Jack Button seems like he was such a big influence. What did you learn most from Jack? Um, Jack was Jack was really hard on you. Mm-hmm. Um, he was hard on you and forced you to go to places that you were a little bit uncomfortable. Excuse me. You're a little bit uncomfortable because 
and, and sometimes you didn't understand why, but what it did is it forced you to, to realize that, there, that you could do better, that you could, there was another level. Mm. There's another, uh, to, to think out of the box a little bit, if you will. Um, and he taught you accountability, um, in terms of, you know, when he wanted it in, it had to be in on time. If it wasn't, you're getting a, you know, a earful. And, uh, it, it taught you that, you know what, there's a certain thing. And if you want, and it's no different than, than I, 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 you, as you, as you get older, you look at the most successful businesses in the world have a brand and there's a reason that they have a brand is because they have a certain accountability and how they operate. And, uh, and, and the best products in the world have a standard and there's mm-hmm. a standard that has to be withheld. And he was teaching us accountability and standard uh, all the time and, mm. and and not be satisfied with just doing enough. And right. there was always, you could do, there's stuff that you can do more and better. And he always pushed us to get better. I learned that from him. I learned uh, loyalty uh, as well. Uh, I learned uh, uh, about standing on your on your you know, uh, standing behind your convictions. Mm-hmm. If you believe in something, stand behind it. Don't. And, and Jack used to, if you were a scout and you were wishy-washy on a player where you said, oh, he's a good player. And then you say, turned and said, you know, maybe he's not that good. Right. You were dead. You were <laughs> dead, dead in the water. Cause he, he knew that your conviction on that guy was not good. But if you were, right. you had conviction on someone, he knew that you, it was just belief. Uh, that your conviction, that you believe that in, in your mind's eye that that player was going to play, and there's reasons why, and if you could su- support it, he was all in, and he didn't yeah. he didn't care if uh, uh, you know you, you believe if you you know if you have great conviction, you're going to be right sometimes, and you're going to be wrong, and don't worry about if you're right or wrong. I mean, it's you know you go into the draft, and I and I was a scout, and I and I learned this, I know this now, is that if you have that conviction you know, not everything's going to work out and it's easy to look back after, you know, 10 years and go back to the draft of 2000 or whatever, right. or 20 years and go, man, did they ever screw up on that? They could have had their <laughs> right. player, you know, I mean, that's the easy thing to do. You know, you could have had this guy, you could have had that mm-hmm. guy. Well, at that point in time, when those guys were, you know, 18 years old and what you, what you see and what you knew and all that, your conviction was, convinced that this guy was going to get it done. And then the human factor kicks in. The player is either uh, going to get better and stronger from the situation he's in, or he's going to fail in that situation because he doesn't have something, you know, or whatever. But yeah. it doesn't always work out. But uh, you have to have the conviction on taking those players. And I think uh, that's one thing that when I when I think about, you know, working with Lou, Lou, Lou has conviction and he, yeah. he, he, he believes it's always, if you have the conviction, it's the right thing. And, uh, that's why, uh, I think I'm drawn to Lou that way, uh, from my experiences of, of Jack. And that is that the, the conviction part was always very strong. Mm, that's awesome. Well, Barry, thanks for doing this. This was a great conversation. Oh, no problem. Anytime. And uh, and hopefully soon we're talking about training camp and what that might look like and, and who knows. <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully. absolutely. Well, I, I, was, I had the news on this morning. It looks like it's flattening out a bit, which is good. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah. it'll, it'll take some time. You know, they, they, we're we're the we're the the, the main center, but uh, if they can you know get the message around the rest of the the country and North America and the world, then uh, it'll go away a lot quicker. So. Awesome. Well, thanks, Barry. All right. And tell Kimber, thank you. All right. Likewise. Yeah, I will. I want to thank Barry Trotz for joining the podcast and Kimber for setting that up with the Islanders. That was that was a lot of fun. It was educational. It was insightful. Uh, the beauty of talking to Barry is you just you give him a topic and it's he's off and running. It does it makes my job so much easier. So thanks again, Barry, for for joining the podcast. And like I mentioned at the outset of this podcast. 
I offered up this last segment to listeners of The Full 60, sent out an email, um, and if you want to join the email list, which I rarely send out, just it's a way for me to communicate, uh, the best way is probably just to go to craigcustons.com, and there's a link in there. But I sent out an email and just said, hey, if you have something you want to share, something positive, something you just want to get off your chest, um, I'll read it, or I'll, or I will <laughs> take a look. And, and of course, I got a bunch of responses, and maybe I'll combine or condense them into an email to, to share with the group. Um, and I want to thank a lot of you. Look, Michael Beck, I want to thank you for sending in. And I love your stories of hockey and the people you've come across from, you know, Mike Madano to Cami Granado. Those are those are great stories that, that, were, that were fun to go through. I want to tell Jonathan Hooker, um, hang in there, man. I, you, you can tell that some of us are struggling with this. And Jonathan... He shared a story. He's he was the 2020 was going to be his year, and he's been grinding through it. And obviously, it hasn't gone the way uh, the way he imagined or any of us imagined. So, Jonathan, this is me telling you, I'm thinking of you, man, and and you keep grinding. I'm going to read a portion of this email from George Gindia, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But George just wanted to share some encouragement. And he writes, "We're all connected on this planet, in this country, in our communities. We're all, in particular." Blessed to be in this wonderful hockey community you and your colleagues created and built. We together are fighting through this unprecedented pandemic and will be better individually and collectively as a result. We all miss hockey, among other things, but before you know it, we'll be back in arenas celebrating one-timers, hip checks, offside controversies, goalies standing on their head, etc. In the meantime, I continue to enjoy the content of The Athletic and with more time to dive in each day, so keep up the superb work, and thanks again for reaching out. Be well. George, I appreciate that. That was awesome. I think that's a message we all needed to hear. I received another response. This was from John Majot, who simply requested to get Corey Proudman back on here. And he had a very specific request. He wanted Corey to come in and talk about NHL, close to NHL-ready prospects because he is a big poolie and he wants to start preparing for his next draft, apparently. So, John, I will do that. We will get Corey Pronman back on. I think it, I think it's his turn anyways in April to do our prospect series, and this will be, I'm going to write this down, this will be a topic that we get into with Corey. I also got a response from Jared, who is the Director of Communications and Broadcasting for the Stingrays in the ECHL, and he asked if we could highlight, and I think this is a great idea, the work that is being done right now as a the, the player relief fund that is being built out for ECHL players. Um, let me share a paragraph from Jared's email. It said, all proceeds raised from this campaign will be directed towards ECHL players. Many teams, including ours, are having game-worn jerseys, auctions, to raise additional funds for this initiative. My team, the South Carolina Stingrays, will be auctioning off a set of jerseys from this auction with 100% of the proceeds going to the fund. In addition, our team's principal owner has pledged to match the proceeds raised in this jersey auction two to one. For every dollar raised, he will contribute $2 to the Player Relief Fund. Thanks again for featuring all these great stories from listeners. Please let me know if you need any additional information. Thanks, Jared, for sending that in. So I would I would instruct you if you want to help this out or check out these um, the auctions, and it would be a really cool way to help these players um, who who need it. And it's a great opportunity. And I also love that the owner is matching. Um, I go to the, probably the best way would be to go to echl.com and look for the auction there and the relief fund initiative. The last email I will share comes from Emily Leverett, who is a Carolina Hurricanes fan, and she shared uh, some great stories about rooting on the team. And, and specifically, there was a paragraph that I thought we all could relate to that I wanted to highlight. And she writes, What the cancellation of hockey has shown me is something that, frankly, I kind of knew already, but didn't fully understand. Hockey is more than a game that I like to watch. For me and my husband, hockey is family. We would never miss the opening or closing tailgate. The friends we've made have extended well beyond hockey in our lives, too. I do just about anything for them, and vice versa. We all love hockey and watch it for the joy of watching it. But even if the games were being played, say that they do the playoffs on some unaffected tropical island or something, it won't in any way be the same, especially since we won't be able to gather there. For me and my friends, my people, Hurricanes hockey goes way deeper than the games, than star players or coaches or owners. 
Those all can and do change, but us, the fans, we're the constant. And the camaraderie is the thing that matters most to me. That's well said, Emily. That uh, that's that's awesome. I think I think everybody can relate to that. Everyone who has met anybody through the game of hockey or participated, especially in a tailgate in Carolina, that scene is unbelievable. So, Emily, thank you so much for sharing, and thank you everybody who sent in an email. I would love to keep this going. So again, sign up for the email if you want to. Just shoot me an email, at Craig at theathletic.com. Uh, if you want to share something or just to make sure you're on the list for future ones, I'll put you on there. Um, it's fun and it was great to hear from you. I just, it's great to have this interaction back and forth. So thanks everybody who sent an email. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Barry Trotz for joining the podcast. Have a great week.